Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years, you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor Podcast, brought to you by The Herald. Hi, I'm Brian Taylor. Very warm welcome to a special edition of my Herald podcast. We're broadcasting from the, the podcasting, I suppose I should say, from the, the, the banks of the Clyde in the new Barclays offices. Delighted to be welcomed by the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. Chancellor, what, what, what are you making of Glasgow with what, what you've seen so far? Well, thanks for having me, Brian, first of all. Uh, it's been great. I've been, I've been in Scotland all day visiting lots of different businesses. And not only has, has it been a very warm and welcoming visit, uh, it's also been great to see our plan for jobs in action. And a year ago, I outlined our plan for jobs to protect, support and create jobs. And today, as the numbers that we've published show, but also, in fact, the, what we're seeing on the ground, that plan is working. Yeah, but I mean, the, the jobs come and go, don't they? And you've got, you've got very welcome new jobs here in banking in the, the, the centre of the, the city, but you have problems in Glasgow. You have the, you know, the, the, the factory, McVitie's factory in the east end of the city closing 500 jobs in jeopardy. So you have, you have an up and down. And, and, and you know, a lot of people listening to your assurances about jobs will say, well, I'm, I'm losing mine and my, my neighbours are losing theirs. Well, if you, if you, if you take a step back a year ago, what were people forecasting? We, they were saying we were going to have unemployment at 12%, 1980s-style levels. And here we are a year later, and what are people saying now? They think it's going to be just half that number, and that's 2 million people, 2 million families fewer who are going to have lost their jobs by the end of this crisis. Uh, and that tells me that the, the plan is working. And if you look at the, the figures actually that we published today, furlough has been perhaps the biggest thing we've done to try and protect people's jobs during this last year. Half a million people off furlough back into work. The numbers on, on furlough down to below 2 million. And here in Scotland, particularly at the peak, one in three jobs supported. But you know, to your point earlier, everywhere I've been today, wide variety of different companies I've seen people coming back to work, companies actually wanting to hire more people and being optimistic about their future. So, you know, I'm actually I feel with enormous confidence. Is that confidence, you know, based upon it's based upon meeting businesses, of course, I mean, there's still stubborn, dreadful poverty in, in parts of Glasgow and other parts of, of Scotland. I mean, do you see Glasgow able to thrive as a financial sector in the same way as, as Edinburgh aspires to thrive as a financial sector? Well, I think there's, there's two things there. Look, of course, you know, we are determined to tackle poverty. And, and throughout this crisis, I've been guided by a desire to try and protect those who are the most vulnerable. And I, I believe our interventions have done that. And I think the statistics would bear that out. And look, for, for people who need our help, I think the best way to help those people escape poverty is to provide them with high quality work and the opportunity to find good work, gain the skills they need. And, and lots of the interventions that we've put in place are doing that, particularly for young people who have been badly impacted by this crisis. But you talk about financial services, and obviously we're sitting in this new phenomenal Barclays campus, and I spent some time talking to the young people who are starting jobs here or who have recently started. And gosh, I mean, fantastic, actually. So you talk about can Glasgow you know, be somewhere where there's strong financial services industry? I think it already is, and Scotland already is. Outside of London, this is the UK's second biggest financial services centre. 160,000 people across Scotland employed in the industry. It's growing. It's a, it's a leading place for some asset management, for example. So, and jobs here at this campus in particular are expanding, and young people from different backgrounds coming to work here. 
So when it comes to financial services in particular, I feel really good about you, Glasgow you, and Scotland's you, future. You, Chancellor, you, you mentioned furlough, and I, I take your point. There's the, the figures for the UK are down to 1.6 million. The figure for Scotland that you've announced or has been announced is down to 141,500, but that it's still... 141,500 people, 141,500 families dependent upon follow. It changes on Sunday uh, in increasing the contribution made by the, the employers, and it ends in September. Your critics say it is a cliff edge over which these, these families will be thrown. Well, I think my critics would probably say there's, there's never a good time to end it, right? And, you know, so that, that, that. But what I would say is... What has furlough done? I'm proud that it has protected millions of people's jobs over the last year, millions of families who have had that extra security provided by it. Uh, and that's, you know, I was out today, people described it as a, as a lifeline, a godsend to them and their families. And I'm glad that we did. Now, in terms of look, how long so should it last? So why end it? Why end it? You, 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 said, you, said you, so, do, you said you would do whatever it takes yeah. for, for, for the, for the, to, to, to tackle this, this hideous plague of coronavirus. It's not over. It's not well, well and when we had the budget in March, we set out a plan then for furlough to go actually well beyond most people's expectations all the way through to the autumn. At that point, everyone was saying to me, gosh, that's a very long time. Why does it need to go on that long, actually? And what we gave them was businesses certainty to plan. And what we're seeing now is numbers of people rapidly coming off furlough at a really rapid pace. But you know, you're right. Could, could, you, I, ex- could you extend it for individual sectors, perhaps? I mean, that, that isn't, I mean, I think, th- th- I think there is a very difficult thing to ever operationalize to define what sectors. But look, I, I said right at the beginning of this, it wouldn't be possible for anyone in my position to say that I could save everyone's job. But what we can do and what we are doing is provide people with hope and opportunity for new jobs. And that, that's where something like the Kickstart scheme, for example, where we are fully funding high quality jobs for young people who are at risk of long term unemployment. That's the right thing to do. Getting the economy open safely and slowly. That's the right thing to do to try and get those 140,000 people either back to their old job or to find a new one. You mentioned your March budget, Chancellor, and you said at that time you wanted to be honest with people about the consequences of COVID. Now, an admirable aim, if I may say so. So let's continue in that, that vein of being honest. You're going to have to increase taxation more than the current plans of corporation tax going up and personal allowances being frozen. You're going to have to, to, to step in and, in, 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 and, and, in, and increase the revenue from taxation, aren't you? Well, I, I, I did say then, and I will always say, I'm always going to be honest with people about the state of the country's economy and public finances. Now, I think people will understand, as you will, Brian, because you're an experienced journalist, it's no chancellor can comment on tax policy outside of budget. So I can't, I can't address that in specifically. But what I can say is that the public finances are important to me, but they should be important to everyone. And I think they are. If you think about what we've been able to do over the past 12, 18 months, provide an untold amount of support to families and businesses through a difficult period. We've only been able to do that because we have the foundations of a strong economy coming in. And I want to make sure that when the next problem comes along in the future, which inevitably it will at some point, the person sitting in in my chair will be able to respond in the same comprehensive and generous way that I did. And in order for that to be possible, we need to make sure we we rebuild. And that's what the budget set out to do. So you would you would see it as being investor rebuild, but that's going to need taxation It's going to need higher revenue. Or or do you wish to to peg it back as much as possible? What's your strategy? I understand you can't give us individual decisions. What's your strategy? Is is, Is it low taxation? Is it is it bringing in revenue to invest the rebuild? Well, I, I think our, our strategy for growth, if that's what you're asking for, we have a very clear 
plan for growth, and it is to drive growth by investing in infrastructure, in innovation and skills. I think those are the three pillars. And if we can drive investment in those areas, we can drive up UK productivity, we can drive growth. And But what I'd say as well is not all growth is created equal. The type of growth that we're interested in is, is growth that helps us meet our climate ambitions, so growth that is green, growth that is felt equally wherever you are in the United Kingdom, whether that's in Glasgow or in the Southwest or in Teesside, uh, and indeed growth that projects our values as global Britain, so make sure that we remain connected around the world. And you know, that's the strategy that we're getting on and doing, and I, and I think actually it is already bearing fruit. Just briefly still on tax before we move on to Scottish, Scottish expenditure. I mean, some are arguing for hypothecation of, of tax, some perhaps even in among your own colleagues, you know, hypothecate tax, set it aside to, to pay for health and to fund the, the, the social care revolution that the Prime Minister promised. Are you attracted by that ideologically or, or put off by it? Again, I, it, I can't comment specifically on you know, In, on, in on general tax. terms about the, the concept of hypothecation. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's not something as a country we, we, yeah. we have historically done, but we have started to do it. And actually, in, in England, specifically with things like the adult social care precept and, and the police precept on, on council tax bills. So there is a there is actually some hypothecation that already happens there. You mentioned UK programmes of, of expenditure. Your, your Scottish critics, your critics in the Scottish government, would say you are bypassing Holyrood with the likes of the levelling up projects, that, that's avoiding scrutiny by the Scottish Parliament, avoiding choices being made by the elected uh, devolved government of, of Scotland, and, and basically it's a power grab. No, I, I don't. I wouldn't accept that characterisation. I think, you know, as the UK government, we absolutely have the right and the desire to invest in all parts of the UK, and that's all that is. I think what people in Scotland want to see, and indeed that's what they told me when I've been here before and again, is what they want to see is us as the UK government working collectively, collaboratively with institutions in Scotland. Yeah. Now that might be the Scottish. But that's government. working directly with them, and it's bypassing well, that, well, Hollywood. No, no, because it might be with the Scottish. Well, it is. It's working directly with local local authorities. Civic, civic society in Scotland. And why is that a bad thing? Local authorities are also close to the people that they represent. And if we're able to have a good constructive relationship with them about investing in local communities here in Scotland, I think that's a good thing. We are an engaged government that wants to transform people's lives wherever you happen to live in the United Kingdom. I take that responsibility seriously, as does the Prime Minister. And we're going to go about doing that. And that's that's what things like the levelling up fund are about. Well, we're five years on from the, 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 the agreement of the fiscal framework with the, the Scottish Government. I won't expect you to go into the details. There's a, there's a review coming and, and, and we know that review is happening. But can you give a guarantee, the guarantee that was that was sought and given in 2016, that there'll be no detriment to Scottish expenditure, the Scottish expenditure pattern from that effort? Or, or will the Treasury be seeking to, to claw back funds from, from Scotland? I mean, I, I think that there's a, as, is, as was set out at the beginning of the process, there's a fiscal framework review that will happen. The yeah. terms of reference for that are they are worked through collaboratively and the process of that is well set out. And that, that process is happening, so it wouldn't be right to preempt that process. But you, can, you, can you give any sort of guarantee about the Barnett formula continuing in existence? Okay, I, I mean, the, the, there's no plans to, to make any changes to those things. The fiscal framework review is the mechanism that we have to have conversations with the Scottish Government and to re-examine the, the fiscal framework. Is it working the way that people... Would but like you it? can understand their apprehensions, their, the Scottish ministerial apprehensions. But I think everybody wanted the fiscal framework yeah. review. I mean, I, I mean, you could either have no review, Ryan, and then, then there would be no apprehensions, yeah. but there would also be no evolution. I think it's right to be able to review these things, check in. Are they working as we all want them to work? Are there things that we'll want to change or improve? I think that's probably a reasonable approach. Final set of questions, Chancellor. The, 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 um, the, the permanent question of, of Scottish politics, the polarisation of Scottish politics, 
the issue of independence. Do you believe that Scotland could be uh, uh, an independent economy? I'm not here to get into what I think are very divisive questions because I don't think that's anyone's priority. I think actually, you know, that is a divisive question. What is a more unifying view, I think, held by the vast majority of people in Scotland is that what they want right now is for, you know, particularly me and the governments that represent them to work together to help us recover from this awful crisis that we've faced. And let's put that, let's just really remind ourselves what's happened. We faced a, a th- once in three hundred year economic shock, right? And a, you know, hopefully once in a century pandemic. And reasonably, people would say, "Look, what we want you to focus on, you lot, is is helping us fix that and grow out of it." And we talked earlier at the beginning of this podcast yeah. about jobs and about getting people back into work. That's what people want us to. Be but you are also on. not not. I don't think thinking about constitutional settlement. Yeah, but forgive me, Chancellor, you are, you're repeatedly stressing through your various speeches, through your various remarks, your colleagues are doing the same. You're stressing the union dimension. You're talking about the, the having the strength of the UK, the, the, the strong shoulders of UK finances. All of that is stressing the union. It is reasonable, perhaps, in, the, in those circumstances to ask you whether you believe that Scotland could be independent, not should be, not whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, but whether it could be an independent well, if, nation. If you're asking, well, you know, of course I'm going to stress the union. I believe in the union. I, 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 I'm a member of the United Kingdom government. But, you know, and things, I think the last 12, 18 months has demonstrated in in many ways the benefit of us being a family of nations, whether it's furlough, as we've talked a lot about, which has enabled us to support many families, but also the vaccine rollout, which has been another great UK success story. So I think, look, are those are those tangible benefits? Of, union? of, of course, of course they are. You don't think those could have been done by an independent Scotland? But I, I think what people want coming out of this is they want to see more working together between these governments to make their lives better. I don't think they are focused on the constitutional question. Are there any circumstances, Chancellor, in which your government would contemplate sanctioning a, a, a further referendum on independence? Again, I, look, I've got nothing more to add on that other than what the Prime Minister and, and, and Michael Gove have said on that topic. But again, I think right now i think most people that in fact almost everybody i've spoken to has not wanted to talk to me about that what they've wanted to talk to me about is how does their business recover from the difficult year i I understand that but but you have a default people who want to figure out how do they get a new job or make sure that their family has security those are the things i I, I understand and appreciate that but you you have a devolved scottish government and you have the largest party in scotland the snp advocating a further referendum as soon as possible Uh, are you in in a position to say whether you would sanction that or whether you would Uh, veto that and I think I think right now it's clearly the wrong thing to be focused on. And I think what everyone wants us to be focused on is recovering from coronavirus and recovering our economy. And so thank you very much indeed for joining me and taking the time to join this Herald podcast from me, Brian Taylor. Toodle the This podcast was brought to you by the Herald. Take twenty percent off an annual subscription to the Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add Herald Pod 2021 to your basket and get instant unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene.